0: The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Cleveland Clinic, ranked number one in the nation in heart care 24 years in a row, according to U.S. News & World Report. For information on the complex cases treated at Cleveland Clinic or to get a second opinion, visit clevelandclinic.org slash Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, March 11th. In today's news... Airlines across the world are grounding the model of plane that went down in Ethiopia. President Trump will use his budget proposal today to pick a new fight with Congress over the wall. And people are dying in Venezuela because of a power outage that's now in its third day. But first, the big idea. President Trump and his advisors are launching a behemoth 2020 campaign operation, combining his raw populist message from 2016 with a massive data-gathering and get-out-the-vote push aimed at dwarfing any previous presidential re-election effort. The president's strategy, however, relies on a risky and relatively narrow path for victory, hinged on demonizing Trump's eventual opponent and juicing turnout among his most avid supporters in Florida, Pennsylvania, and the Upper Midwest. These are the areas that won him the White House, but where his popularity has waned since he was elected. Some advisors are particularly concerned about the president's persistent unpopularity among female and suburban voters, and fear it will be difficult to replicate the outcome of 2016 without having Hillary Clinton as a foil. Campaign officials have also begun preparing for attacks on any politically damaging findings, by special counsel Bob Mueller's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. But even as the Mueller probe, congressional investigations, and threats of impeachment swirl around him, Trump starts his re-election campaign with the full support of the Republican National Committee. The RNC gives Trump institutional support and a much more sophisticated data machine than he ever had in 2016. The re-election effort has already raised more than $100 million, with millions from wealthy supporters poised to add to that record haul. He raised $7 million at a fundraiser this weekend in Palm Beach. Officials say the Trump operation is targeting 23 million key voters in swing states that they believe will decide the election—Florida, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin. The campaign also plans to enlist more than 1 million volunteers, using a vast database of supporters who have attended Trump's raucous political rallies over the past two years. The president will kick off a heavy rotation of such rallies in battleground states in the next few weeks. The campaign, with its headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, has already announced a national press team and plans to create a separate unit for the sole purpose of waging war against the news media. Trump recently received an extensive slideshow briefing on what his team is doing, and he's taken intense interest in the details of the battle to come. Advisors say Trump regularly quizzes them about potential foes, specifically Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and Joe Biden. He also wonders about how he's doing in individual battleground states, particularly Pennsylvania and Florida, and he asks aides about the perceived popularity of his positions, including his vow to remove troops from Syria. He's always been an avid consumer of polling data. Political operatives from both parties agree that the map of battleground states has contracted since 2016. Ohio is seen as more comfortably Republican. Nevada is seen as more likely to go to the Democrats. Running the table in states where Democrats rebounded in the midterm elections, including Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, will be a top priority for the president. And Trump is also fixated on Florida, because he basically has to win it. He sees an opportunity to cut into the Democratic lead with Hispanic voters who are not of Mexican descent. Trump spoke to a mostly Hispanic crowd when he visited Miami last month to call for Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro to resign. Last week, Trump's reelection campaign began running a Spanish-language ad on Facebook in Florida to amplify his message about Maduro and socialism. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Ethiopian Airlines announced this morning that it will ground the model of aircraft that was involved in Sunday's crash. The crash killed all 149 passengers and eight crew members on board just six minutes after takeoff. The decision follows that of Cayman Airways and all the Chinese state-controlled airlines to suspend the use of the Boeing 737 MAX 8 plane. It's the latest version of the industry's most popular passenger airline. The same plane model crashed shortly after takeoff in October in Indonesia. In its short flight yesterday, data shows the plane ascending, then descending, and then ascending again sharply while accelerating to abnormal speeds. Boeing separately announced today that it will postpone the launch of its new 777X jetliner in the wake of this crash. That plane was supposed to make its debut on Wednesday. Eight Americans were among the victims in Africa. So was a third-year Georgetown law student. He was traveling home to Nairobi after the death of his fiancé's mother. Born in Kenya, he was passionate about serving refugees and other marginalized people. He was involved in the Georgetown campus ministry. At least 19 UN workers from several countries were also on board. UN staffers often travel on that route, which connects Addis Ababa and Nairobi. Both cities are home to UN offices. Meanwhile, severe turbulence on another flight from Istanbul to New York injured 30 passengers last night. After the plane safely landed, one person was treated for a broken leg. The others sustained minor injuries. Number two. In the budget request that he will formally submit today, Trump is going to demand at least $8.6 billion more in wall funding. This rekindles a battle with Congress less than a month after he declared a national emergency at the southern border. Trump will request $5 billion for the Department of Homeland Security to continue building sections of a wall, according to three people who have been briefed on his request. He will also request an additional $3.6 billion for the Defense Department's military construction budget to erect more sections of a wall. Top Democrats quickly rejected the proposal, saying it's not even worth the paper it's written on. Bigger picture, the White House's $4 trillion budget for next year includes a proposal for $2.7 trillion in spending cuts over the next decade. Those cuts would come from programs like welfare assistance, environmental protection, and foreign aid. Now, the proposed budget, which will be dead on arrival in Congress, this is more aspirational than anything else, would also cut more than $1.1 trillion from Medicaid and other healthcare programs by turning over more control to states over the next decade. The Environmental Protection Agency would suffer the largest cut of any agency under Trump's proposal. Trump wants to slash its budget by a third next year. Democrats in the House will never accept that, and they'll appropriate far more money. Meanwhile, Trump calls for boosting the Pentagon's budget from $716 billion this year to $750 billion next year. Number three, a massive blackout across Venezuela has begun claiming lives. The lack of power has left hospitals depending on generators if they have them. It has also shut down the Caracas metro system and virtually halted all public transportation. This means that many medical personnel can't get to their jobs. On Sunday afternoon, a 24-year-old woman sat in a chair, weeping outside the hospital at the Central University of Venezuela. My baby just died, she said softly to one of my colleagues on the ground. There was no pediatric surgeon. The director of the hospital tells the Post in an interview that no patients have died because of the power outage. He said a generator was providing electricity for emergency cases. He also denied a shortage of medical personnel. But as our reporter was waiting to talk with him, He was surrounded by doctors and nurses who were complaining loudly that their colleagues had not reported for work. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, March 11th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.